0: Hello and welcome to Stories from India, a podcast where we talk about myths, legends and folktales from India. I am your host, Narad Muni, and I am a mythological character myself. I have the gift of eternal life and knowledge of the past, the present and the future. By profession, I am a travelling musician and a storyteller. So the way I'm doing my job is by podcast. In this episode, by popular demand, we are going to continue the story of Chandrakanta. Chandrakanta is a fantasy novel written by Devakinandan Khatri. Though as I argued in the last episode, it's closer to historical science fiction. The novel was also made into a very popular TV series in the 90s. If you missed the previous episode, don't worry. You didn't miss a lot. We mostly just introduced the characters, all of whom, by the way, had the same last name, Singh. Not that that makes much of a difference. Here is a quick recap of the story so far. At the heart of the story are Prince Virendra and Princess Chandrakanta from neighbouring kingdoms. The kingdoms were not quite at conflict. In fact, many many years ago, their parents had decided to get them married to each other. And everything would have been just fine had it not been for Chandrakanta's father changing his mind all of a sudden. He was influenced in this by his evil minister's son, Kroor Singh. I meant the minister's son was evil, not that the minister himself was evil. Kroor Singh had an ulterior motive. He wanted Chandrakantha for himself. Each of the main characters so far had some very special sidekicks. They were I.R.s. Now, I.R.s are not magical creatures, unlike their portrayal in the TV series. An I.R. is really good at two things. One is that they are an expert at disguise. And the second is chemistry. Mostly practical chemistry. IRs had at their disposal every possible kind of chemical that they could quickly use to do whatever they wanted. Did an IR want to make someone sleep? There was a potion for that. Did an IR want to make a bald person suddenly hairy? There was powder for that. Well, you get the idea. In the last episode, we had two people, Virendra Singh and Krur Singh, both pining away for Chandrakanta. They each sent their Ayars to Chandrakanta's garden, where she must be strolling with her two Ayar friends, Champa and Chapla. The key difference was that Virendra had sent his Ayar with good intentions. Deid Singh had been sent only to see if the coast was clear for Virendra himself to show up. But the evil Kruur Singh had sent his Ayar, Nazim, to spy on Chandrakanta in the garden to get some incriminating evidence of her involvement with Virendra. So far, Kruur Singh had been talking non stop. Chandrakanta's father about how her daughter was hanging out with the good-for-nothing Prince Virendra, but so far, he had no evidence to back his claim up. Nazim seemed to be on track to collecting exactly that evidence. He first knocked out and then impersonated Chandrakanta's IRN in training Champa. Now he was in conversation with the princess herself and her other ayar, Chapla. That's where we'll pick up the story. Champa, really Nazim in disguise, had tricked Chandrakanta into a monologue about how much she missed Virendra. While Chandrakanta went on and on, Nazim looked triumphantly through Champa's eyes as the princess's words were being recorded in his secret pocket recorder. Chapla suddenly interrupted while Chandrakanta was just describing how beautiful Virendra's eyes were. Chapla had been observing Champa with growing suspicion. She interrupted to say that it was starting to get chilly. Could Champa please fetch the princess her shawl? It was on a bench over there. No, let her fetch it herself, was Champa's instant reaction. She immediately corrected and added that she was of course kidding. Of course she would be happy to bring it. The moment Champa was gone, Chapla spoke quickly. Princess, she'll be back in no time. I don't think it's Champa. It's an imposter. Probably one of Kroor Singh's IRs. Chandrakanta was shocked. She couldn't imagine Kroor Singh playing such a dirty trick on them. At least, he hadn't seemed competent enough to manage that. At which, Chapla pointed out that sometimes... Villains are extremely good at hiding their villainy. Consider the burglars from the Home Alone movies. They were extremely smart, seeing as they escaped police custody multiple times. But they also managed to appear extremely silly and terrible at their job, just so that they could give us a good movie. I don't think that was the point, Chandrakanta began. But Chapla interrupted. Princess, this imposter will be back any minute. Do not say anything further about Virendra. Instead, let's ask her some questions that only the real Champa would know. It was fortunate that she said that, because just then, Champa arrived. There was no shawl. ''Oh, silly me,'' said Chapla and shrugged. ''I must have been mistaken.'' Chandrakanta then asked Champa, ''Chapla and I were considering. How about we do the Settlers of Catan?'' Nazim, as Champa, had no idea what Settlers of Catan was. ''Was this a palace ritual?'' Or was this something secret that only women knew about? "Mm, Sure, he said. I'm shocked, Champa. Last night you were so upset, you threw the whole board. After I grabbed all the sheep and refused to trade you any. Nazim was even more confused. Sheep? Trade? Trade? What were they talking about? What can I say? He said. I felt better this morning and decided I would give it another try. Chapla spoke up. Well, that's the spirit, Champa. But, you know, my ear has been bothering me for a while. Can you take a look, please? Champa did, thinking that she had handled the Katan question rather well. But that's all she thought, because the moment she got close to Chapla's ear to examine it, she passed out. Or rather, Nazim passed out. Chapla, the ayar, had cleverly stuffed her ear with some sleeping powder. One whiff, and Nazim was out. Quickly, Chapla tied up the fake Champa. She used her makeup remover just to confirm her suspicions. But there really was no need. Chandrakanta had of course realized it when Champa hadn't caught her lie. The outburst from Champa had happened a week ago, not last night. And they hadn't talked about Katan since. But then, the princess's thoughts changed to anger. How dare Kroor Singh send someone to invade her privacy? She would have his head for this. Spoken like a true princess, said Chapla. But I want to find out what he's done with the real Champa. Here, let's wake him up. So they did. Nazim was scared. Not just about what the king would do to him, but worse, what would Kroor Singh do? Pay cut for sure. And if Kroor Singh fired him, getting a job was going to be very difficult. Despite the glamour, Ayari was a dying profession. He was sure that people a couple of centuries from his time wouldn't even believe that it had existed. Back to reality, Nazim quickly admitted to everything that Kuroor Singh had sent him, that the real Champa was hidden behind the rose bushes. She was fine, but maybe she would be a little cold. After all, Nazim had borrowed her clothes. Chapla and Chandrakanta rushed to the roses. But first, Chapla put Nazim in a little cellar in the garden. It served as a little storage room for miscellaneous garden equipment. Chapla was also careful to search him for bugs. And when she found the recording device in his blouse, I mean Champa's blouse, She promptly destroyed it. Chandrakanta and Chapla found Champa just where Nazim had said. Chapla had just the potion to revive her companion. Those roses are something, Champa said. Princess, you have to talk to the gardener about the variety he is growing here. I could swear... One of them makes chloroform instead of perfume. So, they had to fill her in. And as her IR teacher, Chapla had to remind Champa that she needed to go back and read chapter 7 of the IR handbook. She would expect an essay from Champa on avoiding smelling things that you haven't put together yourself. If Chapla had been coaching Nazim, she would likely have recommended the same chapter. But luckily for them, Nazim had not been suspicious of smelling Chapla's ear, which reminded Chapla she should probably refill her ears. She may be running low. It had taken slightly longer than expected. For Nazim to collapse. As the three of them sat there, the implications began to dawn on Chandrakanta. This is fabulous, she said. Tomorrow morning, all we have to do is to produce Nazim as evidence to the king. Kuroor Singh wanted evidence from us. Well, look how the tables have turned. It's Kroor Singh who will be out on his ear. Then maybe, dad will also stop believing all the lies Kroor has been feeding him about Virendra. But before they could celebrate, a new person entered the scene. It was the maid, Ketki. Chandrakanta and the two Ayars were all immediately tense. No one else knew about Virendra. They had every right to be tense because this wasn't the real Ketki. It was another Ayar. We'll come back to the scene in a short while. But let's see how Tej Singh was getting along on his quest to get Virendra's message to Chandrakanta. Tej had quickly covered the distance between the kingdoms and made it all the way to the palace. Thankfully, he had a copy of the princess's schedule, which she had shared with Virendra in one of their letters. Tej knew that the princess was going to be in her garden at this time of night. He also knew that the garden was heavily guarded specifically to keep him out. But Tej knew that there was a limit to how clever these guards were. Otherwise, they would be officers sitting at a desk pushing paper. He sneaked into a dark corner and emerged in the perfect disguise, that of a new guard. He walked right up to the main garden gate, where a few of the guards sat around, gossiping and eating samosas. This was almost too easy. With the guards all clustered around here, Tej could easily have found an unguarded section of the garden wall to climb over. But no, he needed to send a message. People had to realize That they needed to take him seriously. After he sauntered over, he politely greeted all the soldiers. They all outranked him, which suited his purpose just fine. He introduced himself as a new recruit. He had a few small shifts in the palace, he said, and this was his first job in the real world. Could they please show him the ropes? They would, they said. And he could also help himself to a samosa. A particularly old guard had something to say. He had wisdom in his eyes and in the way he stroked his beard. All you should look for is food. Every guard duty is three snack breaks long. And your duty is not to your kingdom. Your duty should be to stretch those snack breaks as long as possible. Take a look at us, for instance. This is our second snack break, and we've been on it for an hour. Always look for duties that get you the best food. I thought the palace food was pretty good. Tej replied, The samosas are good, but not as great as these. I will admit that the chutney they serve in the palace is the best, replied the voice of experience. Tej said that by a happy coincidence he had some packets of chutney. He had grabbed them from the palace cafeteria at the end of his last day, which was today. By any chance, would they like to use this chutney to eat their remaining samosas? There were seven guards at the gate, and seven pairs of eyes lit up at the suggestion. Obviously, none of the guards were I.R.'s, so they hadn't read chapter 8 of the I.R. handbook. It would have cautioned them against eating food not prepared by their own hands. Tej had mixed a special sleeping potion in the chutney. It was hardly a couple of minutes before all seven guards were asleep. Tej strolled right into the garden, but first he was careful to change his appearance. Guards weren't allowed in the garden. This was the princess's private garden. But maids were allowed. And the gardener, of course. Tej considered going as the gardener. But he had no idea what the guy looked like. And besides, it was pretty late in the evening to be gardening. So Tej instead Chose to go as a maid. Luckily for him, just then, Ketki appeared on the scene. She seemed to be heading home, which was perfect. Tej quickly grabbed her and sprayed some perfume on her face. Only, it wasn't perfume. It was a sleeping potion. Ketki was out like a light. Unlike Nazim, Tej was careful to try to make the unconscious Ketki as comfortable as possible. Minutes later, Tej, disguised as Ketki, was approaching the princess and her two companions. Chapla looked at Ketki suspiciously and asked her if she had completed the task the princess had assigned her. Yes, of course, said Ketki. But then I saw something that I figured must be reported to the princess herself. What is it? asked Chandrakanta. It's about Virendra, said Ketki. But I'm not going to say anything further until you give me a reward. Why, you impudent little began Chapla, but I'd rather not complete her sentence to avoid an explicit rating on the show. Ketki merely laughed. Chapla, angered by Ketki's reaction, grabbed her. She immediately realized that this wasn't really Ketki. About the same time, Chandrakanta had come to the same conclusion because she had never mentioned Virendra to Ketki. And she was confident that neither Champa nor Chapla would have revealed her secret. Still laughing, Ketki handed over Virendra's letter to Chandrakanta. Immediately, the atmosphere changed. This was the second time this night the princess and her friends had found an IR here on false pretenses, but their reaction this time could not have been more different than when they caught Nazim. Chandrakanta was overjoyed and emotional. She asked about how Virendra was, and Tej told them about how Virendra was pining away for her, which made Chandrakanta even more emotional. They talked about when the princess could finally meet Virendra. Chandrakanta said it would be two, three days tops. And she actually looked triumphant as she said that. So Tej asked her about it. Chandrakanta described how they had caught Nazim snooping on them in the garden and how Chapla had cleverly overpowered him. Tej listened to all this and said, Yes, yes, very clever, Chapla, very clever indeed. Except there are two things that you could have done better. First, you shouldn't have put him in the cellar. A closet for storing garden tools is not an ideal place for imprisoning anyone. Surely, Nazim is going to find some shears to snip off his ropes. He'll be free in no time. Doesn't matter, Chapla replied. The door is bolted from the outside. It's a heavy Godrej lock. He can't break it from inside the shed. Which leads me to the second point. Said Tej. Did you honestly think Nazim came here by himself? Don't you think Ahmad would have come along too? Ahmad is Khrur Singh's other ayar. Of course, they all knew who Ahmad was, seeing as he had harassed them at some point or the other. But now was not the time to point it out. Now was the time for all of them to rush to the cellar. Sure enough, the cellar door was open and Nazim was gone. The cuts on his ropes seemed to have been made with a knife and not the garden shears. But that was probably because Nazim had not found the shears in the dark cellar. Or maybe he hadn't needed to. Ahmed had probably been following the action closely and had jumped on the scene the moment their backs were turned. They really should have summoned the king immediately instead of waiting till the next morning. Now they were paying the price for it. They had no evidence now. What happens next is a showdown between Tej and Ahmed and Nazim, but we'll cover that in a future episode. As is usual on the show, I've introduced anachronisms, including recording devices which obviously weren't there at the time. In the original story, the guards at the garden were not actually raving about food. I changed that part to keep it child-friendly. In the next episode, we'll switch back to folktales. This next one will be a Kashmiri folktale about a very clever lady who teaches her husband some basic life lessons. But she has to go to some extreme lengths to do it. If you have comments or suggestions, or if there are particular stories that you would like to hear, please do let me know by leaving a comment or a review on the site sfipodcast.com or tweet at SFIPodcast. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to the show to get notified automatically of new episodes. A big thank you to each and every one of you for your continued support and your feedback. The music is from purpleplanet.com. That's purple-planet.com. I'll see you next time.